Welcome to the MedEvidence Podcast, hosted by Dr. Michael Corrin and Michelle McCormick. MedEvidence, where we help you navigate the real truth behind medical research with both a clinical and research perspective. In this podcast, we'll have discussions with physicians that have extensive experience in patient care and research. How do you know that something works? In medicine, we conduct clinical trials to see if things work. Now, let's get the truth behind the data. Welcome to MedEvidence, powered by Encore Research Group. Go to EncoreDocs.com. Well, welcome back. Now, let's discuss the personal strategies for people. There's several different people have, yes, they're going to get vaccinated. No, they're not going to get vaccinated. But what are, why should they get vaccinated against the flu? I think, yeah, it's a key question, though. The first question is, should you get vaccinated? Mm-hmm. And there are, we talked about the mitigation strategies, avoiding stuff. But at the end of the day, everybody has to make the decision do I get vaccinated or not? So what do you think, Vicki? And the reason to get vaccinated, again, it does not prevent you from getting the virus. You will still be exposed to the virus, whether you wear your gloves, wear your mask, um, and do all of the mitigation strategies. So if, in fact, you do get the virus, what you need to do is something to help prevent from serious disease, and vaccines will help prevent against serious disease. We know that, again, from many, many years of using vaccines, um, 1918, and then we had the whole smallpox and a whole history of vaccines working and um, a whole slew of them have been given to your kids and um, have been shown to work. The um, reason that you get them is, again, it's important to understand not to prevent you from getting the disease, but to minimize the amount of disease, amount of illness, because these illnesses can cause um, devastating consequences from the illness at the time of the illness, as well as some delayed consequences that we now know of. Again, COVID has been wonderful in helping us um, get the word out to the general population of the consequences that can be felt well after somebody has a disease and then um, also just lost time at work and school lost time of income and the other reason is is because if you're going to decrease the amount of time that you have the disease that means you're going to decrease the amount of spread of that disease which is a community issue and And all of those are benefits that you can see by getting vaccines yes and that's a great point so There are two elements to that decision about, do I get a vaccine? One is looking out for number one, Mm -hmm. so what your circumstances are, and two is being part of a community. Mm -hmm. And we know that when a certain percentage of the community gets vaccinated, we get to that herd immunity concept where it's less likely to affect other people in the community. And then as far as looking out for number one, well, you need to look at your your particular circumstances. So literally, if you're going to be in, if you work at home and you do computer programming and you're a hermit and you don't interact with anybody else, well, maybe the risk of a vaccine, incredibly small as it is, is not worth it. You're going to be, you don't interact with anybody and you are very, very unlikely to get sick. On the other hand, if you're a healthcare worker like we are and you're in the hospitals, you're interacting with a lot of people, well, you better get a vaccine because your exposure risk is really, really high, even if you're very, very healthy. Yeah. So these are some of the, the thinking that goes into making that personal decision. What are your individual circumstances? Right. And so we can talk about some individual cases. So um, what about an 18-year-old college student? Mine is actually going back to college this weekend. She's 21. Um, I, I, you know, back in 2020, the first time I caught COVID was from her. I know it. I know it. So what, what are you telling, you know, that, that population? Again, that patient population, as you know, is they're they're big time into grouping. Um, <laughs> they're groupies, and they get close contact. Um, they share drinks, and so they're the great the the most important group 
at that age is the ones that are going to be going to college because of close quarters um, and they're not going to wear masks and probably not going to worry about COVID handshakes. In fact, they're going to hug each other and drink after each other. And, yeah, um, I think it's been more than hugging. It's a family show. Yeah, they're, they're hugging. <clears throat> but uh, yeah, and so that this gets in the concept concept of exposure risk versus your medical risk Mm -hmm. and so college students may have a low medical risk but they have a very high exposure risk right okay all right and how about um you know people who are out there working outside maybe like a construction worker or or someone working on paving roads you know what are what kind of exposure are they looking at again they're they're not the hermit that's having minimal exposure. <laughs> they're the outdoorsy. Probably if they're a construction worker, they happen to be pretty healthy. And they may not be as much at risk, but who do they go home to at night? Right. Do they have young children? Mm-hmm. Do they have an elderly grandparent? Um, and, you know, are they just working 40 hours a week? Many of them we know work 60 hours a week, which is taxing on the body. So, again, they're going to benefit. I think certainly the benefit outweighs the risk, not only to themselves because of lost time at work, um, as well as to the other family members. So we get back to that community issue, um, as well as, again, the delayed consequences of some of these diseases that you may not know about at the moment. Right. And so what, what I would say is this gets into some individual planning. So I would say that the vast majority of people in construction work um, would benefit from the vaccine, but there may be one or two that tend to have more significant reactions when they get a vaccine, and they may know that from previous years. Some, some people will have muscle aches and feel crappy for two, you know, two or three days uh, after they get a vaccine, and that could be a consideration. In fairness, mm-hmm. so if they are some, uh, they're a type of worker that is not interacting in close quarters with people. They're outdoors. Their transmission risk is going to be lower. Yeah. Their exposure risk is going to be lower. And then you look at your personal risk. And so if you're super healthy and you've had particularly bad reactions to vaccines in the past, I would be comfortable with making a personal decision saying maybe this is not for me this particular year. Of course, you also get into what's happening with the the, the virus in the community, getting back to that point. And that's always a little bit unpredictable. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, for the vast majority of people who tolerate these things very, very well, why not? If, If you have a history of tolerating vaccines without any difficulty, heck, Why not? Let's get it. Protect yourself, protect others around you. So let's talk about our largest population. You know, those baby boomers, the the biggest demographic, our elderly, the people that we're caring for. How do we either convince them that that a flu vaccine is for them or, or not? Well, I think the vast majority of them have received flu vaccines in the past and uh, may actually be one of the easiest groups to um, explain the need for the flu vaccine and especially with the newer technologies that um, we can have one that's going to be more effective most likely because it's going to be of a strain that's more recent than something from a year and a half ago. Um, and so I think that that care, that group, um, again, not only because they probably have other family members that they can spread it to, um, including children or grandchildren, but also themselves. And that is the patient population that has underlying medical problems that the flu can be devastating at the moment, as well as in a delayed consequences, especially for the um, lungs. Yeah. So one of the interesting things about that is baby boomers will have a different experience with the medical system compared to younger people. So one of the things you can bring up is, well, we all know about shingles. Mm. And shingles comes from the fact that when we were growing up as baby boomers, when the chicken pox was around, 
the parents were thinking, okay, let's all get it mm-hmm. and get it over with, and then we'll have herd immunity. Mm-hmm. Well, what, they, what the parents didn't know at that time was that there would be long-term consequences of these viruses. And we're seeing the same thing with COVID and other things. We just don't know the long-term consequences of these things. So doesn't it make sense to use the current technologies to prevent these viruses from getting into your body in the first place? or to minimize what happens if we get exposed to them. Yeah. And bringing up the shingles examples is something that, that baby boomers can identify with because plenty of baby boomers have had the shingles or they know somebody's had the shingles and, and have had complications of that. And again, this concept of the long-term impact of viruses and reducing that impact is something they can understand. Right. Okay. But then there's always that argument, Dr. Corrin, that I hear from people of, we don't know the long-term consequences of the COVID vaccine. Well, we do know the long-term consequences of the flu vaccine, and so far, it's been very negligible. Um, so what do you say to those people? Well, we do know the long-term consequences of vaccines, like smallpox would be the best example of that. And interestingly, um, we had a campaign where everybody was getting smallpox vaccines, and it was so effective that smallpox was eradicated. Mm-hmm. And there's no data whatsoever that people that got that smallpox vaccination for year after year after year after year had any negative consequences of it. So there's, there's actually a lot of information out there knowing that well-manufactured safe vaccines are safe for people over the long run. Yes. Are you continuing to do flu vaccine research and trials? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Every year, the technology is is changing. Mm-hmm. Right now, there's a lot of interest in using the messenger RNA technology for the flu. And we'll be doing studies on that. So we're excited about that. So if people are interested, give us a holler and we'll, we can get you involved in it. So in conclusion, the best way to prevent flu spread, we've talked about personal protection, getting the flu vaccine, what else, in conclusion, can we talk about? Well, the best way is to be a hermit and not, <laughs> and not to interact with anybody. But if you... But no. Yeah, it just kind of gets old to be a hermit. <laughs> I tried it just to work it out. It doesn't work. Yeah. Work. So given that, obviously, understand how viruses are transmitted. Take personal protection measures, as we talked about. Washing your hands, wearing your mask. Asking questions of the people you're around, not being afraid to back off if somebody looks sick or is sniffling and all those sorts of things. And then protect yourself with vaccines if it's appropriate for you as an individual. Exactly. And yes, we are doing multiple um, flu vaccines and even flu vaccine with RSV or flu vaccine with COVID, um, all of those different options. So again, if flu vaccine is something you're interested in, um, you can be a volunteer to participate in some of our studies, all of which will give you the flu vaccine, plus or minus some other things. And and an insider tip. So interestingly, You know, a lot of places will give people incentives to get vaccines. So if you go to certain uh, drugstore chains or supermarket chains, you go in and they'll give you a you know, gift card for 15 or $20 if you do that. And um, there's a, a little interesting nuance to that because they'll often ask for your medical insurance mm. before they do that. So they have information that can actually bill your company. So in a way, it's getting the money from the company and giving back to the, the patient, but I, I, won't, I won't make any judgment on that. Mm-hmm. But what I will say is that in the research environment, because we ask patients to collect data for us, we'll pay for that. Oh. And people can get paid 200 300 400 even 600 or $700 to record their symptoms after they've actually received the product. So it's a nice way of getting a, a nice little stipend and... and and getting compensation for the time and effort you're putting in to help us move science forward. Right, and that's at Encore Research Locations. It is. 
your host, Michelle McCormick, and we want to thank Dr. Michael Corrin for his clinical and research perspective behind the science in this episode of Med Evidence, the truth behind the data. Thank you.